listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May the truth be spoken and truth received. Amen. So today is the last Sunday of our lectionary and the Christian calendar. Next week we move into Advent and begin to think and anticipate the coming of the Messiah. And so today we mark Christ the King Sunday. It's a strange thing to mark at the end of the year. You'd think it would be one of the first things that gets marked and then reinforced throughout the year. But no, it's the last thing that we hear and one that we can maybe carry through into the next year. But kingly language is not something that we are often too comfortable with. At its best, monarchical language is either a romantic thought of a bygone era, like the stuff of fairy tales, or at its worst, it is the oppressive holdover of a patriarchal regime. So where does Jesus fit as a king into either one of those extremes? Now, being a British citizen for most of my life, the royal family was a significant part of my life. They were in the news regularly, sometimes for good, sometimes not for good. And I have stood as a child many times with a little Union Jack flag waiting for the royal visit to shout and wave my flag in excitement as a black car drove by. <laughs> but the Queen's image was everywhere. On our stamps, on our money, she is the head of our armed forces, she is the head of our church. We sang the national anthem at school, at scouting events. It was everywhere. Queen Elizabeth is, of course, though, a constitutional monarch, meaning that while she is the head of state, she doesn't have autocratic power. She has a government to pass laws and legislation. She has representational duties, which uphold over a thousand years of governing history and tradition. So the monarchy and all that it represents has always been there for me. And I will be devastated when Queen Elizabeth dies. I have never in my life known England without her. So to say I am an Elizabethan subject is quite true. <laughs> it's a strange thing to hear, but it's quite true. But Elizabeth maintains laws and traditions. And these are external factors that hold the societal norms in place. And by doing so, she helps to create a certain kind of kingdom, a realm in which she plays a pivotal role. And it's some, something that is not simply geography. Canada is not part of the British Isles, but Elizabeth is still the Queen of Canada because of the historic Commonwealth connection. And I know that that Commonwealth is the tail end of a very oppressive, imperialistic ideology that many would like to see done away with. But that's not where I want to go with this sermon. 
I would like to focus more on the type of kingdom that is being represented and maintained. I would like us to think about the type of kingdom that is shaped by Jesus, by God, and by us and the Holy Spirit as we live together in this world. Jesus' time with his disciples had been a huge object lesson on how we are to be as human beings. The kind of lessons that he had been demonstrating and describing show a very different kingdom, an alternate existence even. Certainly it was different from the one everyone was living in. Jesus gave us, and still gives us, alternative ways of interacting, of being, and living with each other as human people. As the head of state to this new state, he was directing us to a more equitable society, a just life. Jesus upheld the intrinsic value of life and declined imperial power. When Pilate asked Jesus if he was king of the Jews, Jesus seems to evade the question. My kingdom is not from this world. Even though he is a descendant of the hero King David, which, had he pulled that card, would have given him all kinds of kudos, Jesus claims no affiliation with the structures associated with nationalism or monarchy or republics as Elizabeth's is. Instead, Jesus says, my kingdom is not from here. His kingdom is about truth, ultimate truth, and truth that originates with God. Now in the Old Testament, we read that the people wanted a king. And at that time, they were warned that a king would be partial. They would be corrupt. And it was really a bad idea. The king would take your sons for their army, would take your money in their taxes, and would diminish your livelihood. The people persisted and got Saul, who was partial and corrupt and took their sons, and took their money, and diminished their livelihoods. But David succeeded him, and despite his notorious sin of adultery, became for the Jews of his time the example of a good, wise, and heroic king, anointed by God. And it is no accident that Jesus was of the house of David. So in Jesus, two things happen. Kingship is redeemed, and leadership is redeemed. And us, as subjects, are redeemed and made new. We are made new. Because a restored humanity is part of a restored world. As subjects of this king, we are to tell the world that it belongs to God. Not to us, not to nation-states, but really and truly to God. And one of the oldest and most simplistic creeds that has ever been spoken is, Jesus is Lord. Or as we say on tonight, for tonight, 
Christ is King. The early Christians were not persecuted because they believed that Jesus was their religious leader, and in the light of his teaching they went around and did good things. As long as you admitted that Caesar was Lord, the Romans were remarkably tolerant of religious diversity. What could not be tolerated was that simple claim that Christ is King. That claim threatened the imperial and political authority. No one was having that. So Christians didn't have to be subversive because they fought political power. Jesus told them to pay their taxes, be in the world, but not of it. Their call to be subversive was to recognize that there are not two compartmentalized realities, worldly and spiritual, but one reality, the kingdom of God, which as Jesus says, is from above and is all in all. That is the truth that Pilate was asking for. Pilate understood the worldly power and authority of the Imperial Roman Empire, yet stood in front of him was an alternate reality, an alternate existence, and he had no clue what to make of it. The very idea of the Jews having a king in any meaningful sense must have seemed ridiculous to Pilate. Especially with Jesus looking far from regal as he stood before Pilate. He had been arrested in Gethsemane. All his disciples had abandoned him. He had defended himself before a Jewish court and been roughed up by the Roman soldiers. So he was no kingly specimen. He certainly didn't have a beautifully designed suit and a matching hat. So on this Christ the King Sunday, we commit ourselves to Christ, recognizing Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, the King who is a servant of all. We can respect the authority of the day, but know that they also will need to say, Christ is King. The one who brings in a new reality, an alternative existence, one who comes, one who teaches, heals, reconciles, dies and rises again, and who lives through us, and who will redeem all things, including Elizabeth and every monarchical structure. All will be done in the fullness of time. And until that time, we make this statement, and we mark this time, and the statement that we make is Christ is King. Christ is King. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.